Okay, so if we can go back to the persecution piece. Mm -hmm. It's always described that it was very intense, the persecution. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what did that look like? How, how, yeah. how would you describe this in multiple ways? Um, like considering as well yeah. that, um, I mean, like, for example, today it's easier to spy on people because of technology, cell phones, mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. But that was not available in the very beginning days. Mm -hmm. So what did, yeah, what did some of that actually look like? Well, part of it was that like, Christians just stood out because of their lifestyle. They were a little easier to spot um, in some ways um, because their lives were quite different, um, especially under the Roman Empire. Uh, and what that um, time frame looked like under the Roman Empire. So Christians looked different. They were, they were necessarily the hardest to find. Um, and persecution could look like, I mean, it wasn't always Christians being fed to lions at the games, uh, but that was certainly part of it. Sometimes it looked like a loss of property, loss of job, um, jail time, loss of privileges, uh, and didn't always necessarily end in, in death, but that also depended, I suppose, on the emperor and how intense they were um, on really uh, trying to minimize or eliminate what they called a strange, actually atheistic religion, just because like Christians follow one god, whereas the Romans follow many, many, and so they actually thought that Christians were atheists, and, and which was just, and on top of that, they didn't honor uh, the emperor as as a god, and it's not that you don't honor him as uh, an elected, okay, again using kind of our language, an elected official, because we know biblically we have to honor our elected officials. That's that's biblical. Paul says it. Peter says it. But, but it kind of hits that kind of that endpoint when it's just now sacrifice to me like he would a god. Um, and Christians were just they they couldn't do that. No, that was no longer an option. No. Uh, but I didn't necessarily go over well. I was worse with some than with others, certainly, but. I think that persecution looked like uh, a variety of things, partly depending on, you know, who was kind of in charge, the time frame, and um, sometimes it was, it was like it was intense as, as the stories that we read of these Christians ending up in these like gladiator games, um, dying bravely, which is insane when you really think about it. From mm -hmm. grief, Oof. you know, but yeah. um, like that was a reality that was far too frequent for Christians in those early years. And I mean, sometimes they would be found by spies, uh, but that was hard to do just because uh, they were pretty careful with their meetings in terms of who was allowed to the meetings and who was. And that's was part of the reason was because they knew that um, like there, there would be people looking to find them, um, so not just anyone could show up at a meeting. We call it church; they would just call it that. A meeting. Yeah, I mean, technically, like with the ecclesia, that's not necessarily the language. Maybe they would have used day and day out, but their meetings together. But at any rate, um, mostly they weren't that hard to find, though, because um, something would give them away just by their own action. Right. Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to that word you said for people listening that haven't heard the word ecclesia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's not really even like a necessarily a spiritual word. I think it just means like a council or meeting or gathering. And it can also be referred, like it can also refer to uh, almost like a secular gathering as well. And so um, it's a Greek word um, that 
still here in some Christian circles. Some people mm-hmm. still will refer to the church as the ecclesia of God, just like the council governing body. Governing body. Um, but it technically also can be used for a secular governing body or council. And so uh, not necessarily like it didn't start like a, like a spiritual term, okay. uh, but um, was used to refer to kind of the setup of the early church as well. Meetings had to be kept secret or hidden, essentially, mm-hmm. right? So that they could be kept hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had shared with me a little while ago that if you wanted to become a believer, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. back then, if you wanted to become a believer, you had to go through a course mm-hmm. or some training, and it was long. Like, mm-hmm. how long was that? Oh, goodness. Before you were even not, actually allowed to go to the church. It's not like just an like evening worth. Like, let's say that could take weeks or months or longer, for sure. And that technically, I think we can call it like a catechism period of intense learning of doctrine. Um, and then you'd be baptized as like a proclamation of faith. And um, then you would be allowed to a meeting. But not until then. So you go through your catechism, you get baptized, and then <laughs> you can finally go to church, which is really quite backwards of a lot of what we've kind of done over the last, uh, what year are we in? Well, here in yeah, North America. Yeah, North America, and uh, in some ways globally now, in different, like in the, there's not very many places in the world right now where you, you can't, as a non-Christian, be invited into a church gathering. Some, um, in some places. Uh, but over the last span of time, it's kind of been one of our main evangelistic goals, or like um, forms, um, has been bring people to church, and that's where they'll meet Jesus. And that's not wrong. It's just different than how it was then, for a variety of reasons. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's an aspect that I like when you're talking about this, because I think, well, if you have been in this meeting mm-hmm. for a long time, and it's become a very safe place for you, and you've seen movements of the Lord and um, many answers to prayer and miracles, um, and you've formed this family and doing communion together. Um, you know that by the time somebody is brought in that wants to be there, first of all, they want to be there. Mm-hmm. They obviously believe in the truth enough that they're willing to risk their life mm-hmm. to, or give their life up for the Lord, mm-hmm. and to risk, in a sense, going to the, the meetings because of the persecution and um but again the taking the perspective of somebody that's been there for a while you you just automatically i think would feel safe like okay this this person has uh they really believe enough Mm -hmm. to like they believe yeah i mean there's a measure of safety and also a measure of um like they're almost like stepping into it uh, maybe not at the same pace, but they're not coming in um, from scratch. And so when they join a meeting, they're aware of what's happening, aware of what they're kind of stepping into, uh, aware of why things are the way that they are, you know, and um, just a measure of comfort on both sides of it as well. So those who've been there for a while, and this is their community, this is their family. Um, and for those who are stepping into it, uh, who would otherwise have no exposure and would, would otherwise be like, what is going on here? Like, um, what is the kiss of peace? <laughs> what is going on? Why what are we talking about? It was like a, they, like a greeting. Like it was a common way of greeting one another. 
but just once because apparently more than once you could get yourself into trouble that's like legit like, like yeah they're like well they just like were understood the fact that that's an act of intimacy and so there um, it was very intimate that's how you greet each other as brothers and sisters in christ but also within bounds of like yeah but don't go like Crazy. making up <laughs> for like one way to say it there was guard like boundary around that and yet at the same time an allowance of a measure of closeness that um they actually called them love feasts mm-hmm. and one of the things that people used to say that, uh, as a way to slander christians were that these were secret gatherings were just these like big like sensuality parties um without under having any kind just partly because of their language of um the way that we speak about love to somebody who maybe wouldn't have any context for that sounds really intimate and really were romantic yeah then about god yeah um and so without context for that that was one of the reasons why christians were thought of this kind of weird is because like well what are you doing at these secret meetings like uh and one of the things that they were called back then was it was like a love feast and um when you look at it through the lens of like our faith that's beautiful and uh, we would love to see some of that intimacy restored uh, into our church but if you don't have context for that yeah it sounds kind of like well what <laughs> you know okay so how can this be restored all these years later oh goodness well what is the long list that needs to happen Mm. Well, in, in my opinion, and I can be completely wrong, I think that there are some things, well, I think it starts by um, trying to learn and understand uh, what is context-based and culture-based and what transcends culture and context. Because there are some things that were not just um, native to the early church and Christianity, but they were also just native to the culture at the time, you know? And do we need to carry that part forward? Well, maybe not, because um, our own, we're in a very different culture in a very different context. And so some of the things that were like actually just more cultural, um, maybe we don't need to see that part restored to the early church. Um, but I think it starts with um, really discerning what is not culture and context bound of that well what did the early church look like and what of that actually was never meant to be bound to a certain time what was meant to actually carry forward that we've lost along the way and i think that's a hard question because um it maybe not a hard question maybe it's a it takes some deliberate time spent learning about culture and what did it look like? What did the world look like at that point? What did Jewish culture look like? Because that was where the church was birthed. And um, what were their families like? And um, why were some things set up the way that they were uh, in terms of leadership structures and in terms of like, why were they so adamant that you cared for the poor and the widows? Um, all of these different things that it's just like, okay, um, these things still need to matter in our own, like our own time and context. Um, but how much of that, like, how do we weed out the things that we carry forward, and how do we acknowledge some things that were more cultural yeah. and not 
necessarily Christian, not bad, but not the heart of the gospel and what was taught in terms of our actual faith. And I think that that takes time spent learning, mm-hmm. which I love. <laughs> it's, it's good to learn. It's good to learn about our, our history for some of these reasons, right? Yes. And you see these patterns over time of like, okay, well, when did some of these things fall off? And when did these things change? And why did they change? And should they have changed? And maybe some things did because that was like a culture bound or a context bound. And we didn't need that because that would then just be carrying forward tradition for tradition's sake, which is the thing that we still say we don't want, right? We don't want. No. I mean, I love traditions that are good and healthy and reverent and sacred and remembrance-based because um, that can be super important. But some of them just become dead weight, you know? Yes. And it's just like, how do we do it mindlessly? Yeah. And... Uh, that can happen when it's more of like a context or culture-based thing, where it's just like, we don't even know why we're doing this. Like, that was relevant then, but it's not relevant now. Um, but the problem is that we can apply that mindset to a lot of things that we do need to carry forward. Like, there are parts of the Bible that are always going to be, um, I don't know, right, right might seem like the wrong word, but for lack of a better word at the moment. They're just always going to be right, and they're not bound to a time or a culture. And applying them in our day is difficult, but it's still truth. Uh, and that's not a matter of, well, it was true then because of the time frame, but it's no longer true and relevant. So, well, maybe some things, but there are some things that actually are still just biblical truth, and they're not about you know how things were done at a certain time. It's just that's just how it's just the truth it's just the word of god <laughs> it's just the word of it god. doesn't change yeah yeah but that can be hard to do it can be hard to discern and i think um i think we need a lot of grace for ourselves we try to discern that of like well can we um look at that time frame in that context and see like okay well here's what we know uh was passed down in terms of actually like do this to actually bring vibrancy in life to your faith and how do we what, what is an example of this that you're talking about well, prayer, <laughs> for example, and not just praying on your own, but like some of the things that they did together really formed them as a people and individually. Meaning prayers together, prayers together, uh, but even things that we still do, uh, things like worship, um, things like the Lord's Supper, which they did so frequently, and so some of these things uh, we still we still do. Um, Can I just? Can you come back to where we were going? I just want to insert here two things. Okay, worship. Mm -hmm. Love it. Can't live without it, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously we need that. But can I just be so vulnerable? Mm -hmm. There's sometimes... I feel like I'm going to be really mean right now. (laughs) (laughs) There's sometimes, for example, when you're listening to certain... Mm-hmm. Christian songs that um, they don't carry any presence necessarily. Mm-hmm. It feels more concert-ish mm-hmm. or more like, oh, the the lyrics are really all about that person's feelings and emotions mm-hmm. versus anything to do with kingdom mm-hmm. and God. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's, 
I, I think, like, I feel the heart of God in worship when we are really worshiping Him, mm-hmm. you know, and singing about His goodness and all the things from the Bible that He is, and um, and then His presence just comes in so strong. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we're talking about this at this moment, but I think it's well, important. it is important because um, I think that maybe over time, the even just what we would consider worship has changed. And maybe that's one of the reasons why when they worshipped together in the early church, uh, it was so spiritually formative. Um, and so uh, one of the things that marked them, and they were different people when, as compared to what was going on around them, like markedly so. Mm-hmm. They were different. They were changed by these things. Like worship prayer, taking, you know, the Lord's table together actually changed them and transformed them. And we don't maybe see that. That's not always true. We do still see that today. Maybe not in the same um, measure. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, and, and this is maybe again just my opinion, but I think one of the reasons maybe that, why that can happen is that, um, like, you know how, like, when you read the Psalms, some of the psalms are very, uh, almost like you're reading someone's diary, right? Yeah. It's like it's like someone wrote down their worst day. Yeah. <laughs> Dear diary. Yes. God, where have you gone? <laughs> have you left me? <laughs> why, why have you forsaken me? You know what I mean? And that sounds like things that we've all written in our, in our own private journal at, from time to time. Uh, and it's like a personal lament. And they made it into the Bible, but... Uh, that doesn't necessarily make that um, worship in the way that we would corporately come together to exalt God in. And some of these things aren't necessarily wrong, but maybe they're done. And this is just this is just me, but maybe they're done out of context. Where some things that I hear either on the radio, I don't listen to the radio. Maybe something you know what I mean. Some things that I hear streamed if I'm looking for any music, yes. I would think I'll maybe listen to this in terms of giving myself language for how I'm feeling. But I wouldn't worship with other people in a corporate setting with this because no. it's not maybe made from that, that context the same way. And again, it doesn't necessarily always make it wrong. It just sometimes I wonder if we're kind of mislabeling what sing when. Does that make sense? Yeah. And how some things almost feel more like a personal lament or a personal I need to... Uh, I need someone to help me find language because I'm feeling all these things and, oh, this song really just speaks to how I'm feeling. Well, that's fine, but it's not necessarily um, worship in a sense that the church would have defined it back then, if that makes sense. Yeah. And whereas other things we read, even in the Psalms, very much are these corporate, um, almost written for, for corporately exalting the name of well, in this long, it wasn't Jesus per se, but it like uh, lifting and exalting the name of God and magnifying who He is, remembering what He's done, uh, and declaring what he, like, just the character and nature of God, and um, bringing ourselves into a place of reverence before Him with our even just with our language in our song, and that feels more like worship. And um, does that make sense? Absolutely. It's all about him and not about us. No, and I think that um, uh, maybe in terms of like what we do corporately, um, 
could sometimes stand to be maybe a little less focused on some of those maybe songs that I could maybe have to help me bring language to how I'm feeling when I'm by myself and I'm just like, I just like feel a lot of feelings and I almost need like uh, a modern day lament <laughs> to help me get this out and that's fine but a lot of the time I would say let's introduce this thing of worship at our next like let's say we get together with some friends and we worship and it's just like well maybe in that context um if i were to bring that in there it would not necessarily be uh the same exultant uh reverent and humbling myself before god and reminding myself and those around me that he's worthy no matter what yes no matter what you're no facing, matter what no matter yeah. how crappy yeah, life is for you right now, or how bad yeah. things are. Yeah. He's still worthy. Mm -hmm. Well, he's always worthy of our, our our praise and of who he is, and our vocal reminders. Uh, to I mean, he he loves our worship. It's not like an ego boost for him, but at the same time, he knows that we also need to do that um, for our own heart's sake and. Um, I think maybe like a lot of the, the, those meetings of the early church wouldn't have been um, worship based on necessarily how I'm feeling today. But sometimes, no, in the, uh, even in the midst of like intense persecution, it's like we need to remind ourselves corporately together because that's important that God is worthy, and whatever is happening out here uh, is going to bow low in this moment because we're going to lift His name above. Um, the intensity around us and yes. we're going to magnify Jesus the Christ who has come and brought uh, you know the exact representation of God amongst us and we're going to exalt him in his sacrifice uh, amidst all of this other stuff and um, that that kind of style of worship is exceptionally formative for the early church and um, changed them Quite drastically. Yes. They become marked and just mm. completely transformed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, all that to say, like, there are some worship songs that um, might do it for other people and I don't do it for me, and vice versa. And that's fine. But, and then there are some songs where I think I would probably, like, you know, I would like to listen to that on my own time when I need language. <laughs> so now you find language. And that's fine. Um, and, in comparison to the early church, though, their idea of worship was very much um, exalting the nature of God, the, you know, the character of God, the, mm -hmm. you know, the person of Jesus who came uh, as God amongst us. And, um, yeah. I think if we all worship like that today, all over the place, and in our homes, and privately, could you imagine what kind of changes would happen on the earth? Yeah, big ones probably. <laughs> the kind we need. The kind that we need. Now, to be fair, we can do that out of obedience, and I think that also it can couple with prayer that the Holy Spirit would help us to do that because um, that even that in and of itself can become just another form without power. The things that we do that are powerless just because it seems like the right thing to do. Well, if I do this and this action alone is going to change the world. Well, no. Um, but that action of obedience with the help of the Holy Spirit, yes. Yeah. And so, like, sometimes it's like, I'm going to do this because, God, you are worthy, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to actually help 
me to engage my heart with this. And sometimes that happens right away. And sometimes we just got to keep asking and keep showing up, keep doing it, keep asking for help. Hey, okay, I'm showing up. I'm going to do this because you're worthy, but I don't feel uh, anything yet. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, and I think that that just aspect of let's, let's do this, let's worship God this way, and let's acknowledge the fact that we need the ongoing help and presence of the Holy Spirit to actually breathe life into this.